Chapter Six of Recollections of Bush Life in Australia by Henry William Haygarth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Bush cattle. The management of cattle in New South Wales is conducted in a manner so peculiar to the colony and so widely different from that of almost every other country that some account of it may be amusing, if only from its novelty but to one who is fond of observing animals and of marking the difference that circumstances create in their habits those of the bush herds in the interior of australia are particularly interesting the more so as many of them are unknown to those who have only been acquainted with cattle in a more domesticated state and are evidently suggested by an admirable provision of nature to supply the place of advantages from which they are excluded by the absence of the care of man of the three sorts of stock which compose the principal wealth of australia viz sheep horses and horned cattle the increase of the latter has been in proportion the most rapid and is truly astonishing if we consider how short a time has elapsed since the earlier days of the colony when it must have been an easy morning's work to collect their whole number already they are countless the census of stock taken annually must always be considerably under the reality for few of the large stock owners keep an exact account of what they possess and it is next to impossible owing to the wild habits of the cattle in new south wales to collect the whole of a herd at once the number driven into the enclosures at mustering time is necessarily set down as the total of which perhaps it falls short by some ten per cent the census moreover only takes notice of cattle that are regularly branded and acknowledged by their owners in addition to these innumerable animals of every kind of brand and others with no brand at all and known as stragglers are mixed with the herds of the interior of these some are wholly unclaimed and others are the property of persons who have removed elsewhere and are never likely to take the trouble of gathering them together whilst vast quantities wholly wild roam at large in many parts of the colony and occupy the most inaccessible places being totally distinct in their habits from the half-wild herds to which they originally belonged cattle seldom get much credit for intellectual capacity but no one who has seen them in the interior of australia will deny that they have been undervalued in this respect in the half-wild state their mental faculties seem to be called into more active play than when they are domesticated and they exhibit strong powers of memory and combination which under many circumstances are extraordinary indeed the ox though he has little more than half the brain of the horse seems in point of instinct to be scarcely if at all his inferior the vast herds in the interior of the country graze unconfined throughout the year with the exception of stockyards into which they are driven at certain seasons there are no enclosures and it is generally matter of surprise to strangers that without them they can be kept within due bounds it would in fact be impossible to do so were it not for the strong local attachment they invariably possess of which man avails himself so well as not only to render them through it subservient to his will but to be so voluntarily when the cattle are first brought to a new country they are subjected to a process called tailing which consists in watching them both horsemen by day and driving them into their enclosures every night they grow very much out of condition under this treatment but it must be continued as long as they show any inclination to ramble back to their old pastures 
and usually lasts from three to five weeks according to circumstances cattle that have been brought overland from a great distance soonest lose the recollection of their former haunts and young stock are more easily managed in this respect as their memories are less retentive the desire of returning to the pastures on which they have been reared even though of inferior quality is the most difficult to eradicate of all their bad habits for they have been known to make back through every obstacle for hundreds of miles and animals that have escaped from the very slaughter-houses in sydney have been found again within a short time upon their former feeding-grounds at a vast distance in the interior this instinct has occasionally been still more forcibly exhibited it has sometimes happened that the settlers when removing their cattle to a new station have taken the precaution of sending them by a circuitous route to their place of destination by way of mystifying their troublesome organs of locality but it has afterwards been ascertained both by the track and actual sight that the stragglers of which there are always a few have returned by the direct line through a country of which they had not the slightest previous knowledge numberless well-authenticated anecdotes might be told of the topographical instinct of cattle but i will only mention an incident of which i was an eye-witness i was returning from an overland trip and passed the night at an outstation the occupants of which were anxiously awaiting the arrival of their supplies these were always sent by means of pack bullocks for the road was so mountainous as to be nearly impassable for drays when on the point of resuming my journey the following morning the expected bullock was seen slowly approaching with his load upon his back but without any driver we were now all anxiety for the man's supposed fate and as my road home was the same as that by which the bullock had arrived the investigation of the matter was entrusted to me so i got upon the animal's back-track and pushed off as soon as possible sixty miles from the station as evening was closing in i found the driver alive and well but in great tribulation at the loss of his charge and deep was his satisfaction when in answer to his inquiries i informed him that the animal more sagacious than himself had reached his journey's end in safety it appeared he had missed the bullock on the previous morning while he was halting for breakfast and could not regain sight of him being a new hand in the country he was an indifferent tracker and had been wandering about in despair near the spot where he first lost sight of his charge who having been bred on the station had pushed on alone and reached it on the following morning i had kept his track all day and found that he had never once been at fault or even stopped to feed and several articles which had dropped from his load at different times were all lying in the direct line notwithstanding this strong propensity cattle are made to forget their old pastures by means of judicious management and to settle quietly upon any new station intended for them if it is not wholly unsuited to their habits as soon as they seem reconciled to the new ground and are again trusted wholly at large they do not long remain in one herd during the time of tailing but separate into several droves and spread here and there over the whole extent of the pasture it is remarkable that each of these droves remains perfectly distinct from the others and so strictly do they adhere to this habit that although several of them may chance to mix during midday in the dry creeks and open flats to which they usually resort and appear inextricably jumbled together yet each animal well knows his own party 
and it is very curious to observe the readiness with which, upon sudden alarm, the droves detach themselves from each other, and make off towards the forest, each in its own separate direction. The knowledge of this habit is of great service to the stockkeepers or herdsmen of the colony, when they are in quest of any particular animal, for if they have once remarked the drove to which he belongs, they may always know subsequently in which direction he will be found. The usual feeding times are in the morning and evening, and during the first part of the night. At midday they congregate on low grounds in the vicinity of water, where each drove appropriates one particular spot, apart from the rest, from which it never deviates. Here they bask for many hours, lying closely grouped together until the heat begins to abate, when they draw off toward the forest in all directions, moving leisurely and grazing as they go. A numerous herd thus spread out in the evening, and dotting the plain with party-colored hues, forms a pleasing pastoral sight. A spot on which the cattle are thus in the habit of assembling and basking during the day is called a rendezvous, and is easily known, for, from the constant pressure of innumerable vast bodies, the surface of the ground becomes smooth and hard, resembling a blighted ring in the mist of verdure. These marks still remain on stations from which the cattle have long been removed, and being seen from a considerable distance, are frequently used as a means of direction to the lonely traveller. The number of cattle depastured together is regulated by no fixed rate. In the large, grazing districts of the interior, herds are to be met with, varying from five hundred to as many as thousands, the only limit to their further increase being the extent of run possessed by their owners. There are settlers who are owners of far more cattle, but five thousand is the largest number that I remember to have met with in one herd. The breeding of horned cattle in Australia, though perhaps less profitable than sheep farming, has the advantage, no inconsiderable one at this time, when wages are high, of requiring comparatively little labor. Two men, a stockman, and hut keeper, are all that are needed on a cattle station during the greater part of the year. The hut keeper, as his name implies, has nothing whatever to do with the outdoor work. This devolves wholly on the stockman to whose charge the herd is delivered in the first instance, and whose duty it is to be able to muster, or satisfactorily account for, the same number that has been counted out to him, together with their increase, whenever required to do so by his employer. The muster of a large herd of cattle is a very stirring business, and may be described as a scene characteristic of the bush of Australia. Preparations are made for a day or two previously, and word sent to the adjoining cattle stations, as it is customary for neighbors to assist each other, and at such a time as this there can scarcely be too much help, the most indifferent performer on horseback serving at least to stop a gap. Operations commence at an early hour, as soon as the sun has acquired sufficient power to draw the cattle from the forest towards the water. The horsemen separate into parties of two or three together, and skirt the boundaries of the pasture, driving down the cattle in every direction towards the rendezvous by crack of stock-whip, an implement of peculiar construction, the handle being little more than a foot in length, while the thong, which is made of plated hide, varies from twelve to seventeen feet. It is used only in New South Wales, and when cracked makes a report which may be heard at a very considerable distance, while its powers of flagellation are formidable even to a wild bullock. 
the cattle thus roused make off towards the low grounds where they are met by other horsemen whose business it is to keep them together upon the rendezvous until the whole party are reassembled and then after a few minutes breathing time they start off for the enclosures the labor now begins in earnest for cattle seem to have some instinctive anticipation of what is in store for them and when they are inclined to be refractory nothing but the most persevering exertions will drive them to their place of destination as they proceed the scene becomes more and more animated from the main body of the herd dimly seen through a dense cloud of dust a succession of furious animals break off at all sides some making back towards the rendezvous others to their old haunts in the forest these are instantly pursued and hunted back by the stockmen who may be seen belaboring them with their long whips in every direction until driven to desperation by overdriving and the severe discipline of the lash they frequently turn the tables and become themselves the pursuers the air meantime is filled with the report of the stock whips the barking dogs and cries and shouts of men mingled with the heavy tramping sound of many thousand hoofs as the herd rushes towards the enclosures the speed and activity displayed by these half-wild cattle would astonish a stranger who had been brought up in the belief that the ox is naturally a slow and clumsy animal on a level plain or down a gentle slope which is most favorable to the action of cattle it is often as much as a horse and a tolerably fast horse too can do to lead them for the first hundred or two hundred yards and as for agility it is no small leap that a cow or bullock will refuse when hotly pursued in many herds there are animals whom the enclosures will not hold though six or seven feet high even at a time when the yards are so filled with cattle that they are obliged to take a standing jump some of them show excellent bottom and instances are known of horses having been run to a standstill by them even in open country in addition to the gallop which is their usual pace they have a long swinging trot which enables them to get very fast over the ground cattle hunting in australia is excellent sport and many go out merely with the view to a day's amusement with less speed than in horse hunting there is more variety and from the constant sharp turning and close contact to which you are brought with the animal pursued greater skill in the saddle is requisite serious accidents are not so frequent as might be expected and generally occur from foolhardiness or want of experience however it is never safe to trust the half-wild cattle too far if closely pressed they are always apt to wheel round and charge at a moment's notice when as their pursuer is close behind some disastrous accident may occur if his horse should chance to be hard in the mouth or unused to the work but this is seldom the case for perhaps no animal in man's employment more thoroughly understands what he is about than the stock horse of new south wales from the earliest period of his breaking he is taught to wheel instantly when at full speed on any ground and from the innate sagacity which horses have in discerning their rider's object one that has been after stock for a year or two reaches such perfection in this point as almost to justify the ordinary recommendation of an australian horse dealer that he can turn upon a cabbage leaf the best exemplification of this faculty is in the process of driving or as it is called cutting out a single bullock to which he will not submit without a sharp tussle 
from the instinctive dislike to separation which all the bush cattle exhibit at first starting he trusts wholly to his speed but finding after a trial of two or three hundred yards that his retreat to the herd is still intercepted he doubles short round the rear of his pursuer who were he to continue his onward career he would thereby lose a great deal of ground but such is the agility of the stock-horse that he simultaneously wheels around and still keeps on the inside without losing an inch this sort of thing is repeated again and again until the baffled animal by this time exhausted with rage and well scored with the whip is fain to single out and take any course that his tormentor may direct the purchase and wear and tear of working horses and of saddlery forms a considerable item in the expenses of a cattle station a stock-keeper in charge of a large herd must be supplied with three or four good horses throughout the year and at busy times such as mustering branding etc more are required best horses seldom hold out long as their work is peculiarly distressing from constant sharp turning when at speed they are always liable to strains and their fast downhill galloping which is rendered necessary by the invariable propensity of cattle when pursued to take the falling ground divides the weight unfairly by throwing it all upon the forelegs which seldom remain sound after two years work but this is a secondary consideration where horses are so plentiful much trouble is seldom taken to cure an old one which consequently has to work on whether sound or unsound as long as he can head a bullock this sort of riding at first is very difficult even to one who has long been at home on his horse under other circumstances the stock-keepers are generally well practised in it and indeed as it is their trade one that was not so would be useless their style of riding however does not exactly answer the usual idea of excellence they generally have a long and loose seat with the foot home and the toe pointed to the ground in a line with the knee and they have seldom a good hand on their horse but notwithstanding this they are very expert in sticking on under difficulties and have a most astonishing knack of getting along fast in broken country and especially downhill in which perhaps they are unequalled the native youths particularly excel in bush riding to which they are accustomed from boyhood and pride themselves not a little upon their feats while after stock early practice however is not indispensable many stock owners who have arrived in the colony late in life become themselves excellent cattle hunters and one of the best i remember to have seen was an ex-pickpocket from london who before he was transported had hardly ever been in the saddle the half-wild cattle have a constant tendency to acquire bad habits or what a sportsman would call to run riot and to counteract these forms a great part of the stockkeeper's daily labor as many of them if confirmed by time become insurmountable and then the only remedy is removal to new pastures which is an expensive affair and not always practicable the most frequent and troublesome habit is that of breaking off from the main body or splitting this if not checked at first gradually spreads through the whole herd and is so infectious that if a single animal when the herd draws near the enclosures singles off and is not soundly hunted back there and then he is pretty sure to repeat it on the next occasion with the additional annoyance of taking several others in his company the memory of the half-wild cattle which is at all times retentive 
is never more so than under these circumstances they seldom forget a bad trick if once found to be successful the value of a herd of cattle is of course considerably lessened by these refractory habits as they necessitate great additions of horses and labor as an instance of the extent of annoyance to which this evil may come at last i may mention what occurred on a station in one of the large grazing districts to the southward of sydney on and about the pastures which were very extensive there were supposed to be about four thousand head of cattle speaking in round numbers or as the auctioneers say more or less for as will be shown by the sequel they were more easily seen than counted from original mismanagement they had become so wild and had acquired so confirmed a habit of splitting that to muster them was an impossibility and notwithstanding that all the assistance was obtained that could be got for love or money in the neighborhood often mounting to treble the number of horsemen usually requisite in such cases the party considered themselves lucky if they reached the enclosure with a third of the drove with which they had started from the rendezvous a distance of three or four miles the whole extent of which presented one continued sense of confusion covered with men galloping helter-skelter after numberless cattle which were making off at all points determined to go in every direction but the right one the luckless proprietor of this lively stock a man well versed in such matters tried every scheme that long experience could suggest to gain control once more over his cattle but in vain and in short to use the colonial expression they would not have gone into the enclosures for the governor and all the legislative council his last attempt to muster them at least showed that his failure did not arise from lack of energy finding that his cattle had become too cunning by day he resolved to try if he could not outwit them in the dark and laid his plans accordingly it was arranged that the pastures were to be undisturbed during the day but shortly before sundown the whole party were to sally forth as silently as possible driving before them some quiet cattle which being thoroughly under control might be easily driven into the enclosures and thus serve as a decoy for the wild herd i forget how it happened but so it was that business took me in that direction with one companion as we were pushing on across the bush unconscious of the busy times that were awaiting us we came full upon the party in question where they were encamped at sundown at a distance of four or five miles from home eager for nightfall to open their campaign as we were neighbors and what was more to the purpose well mounted our arrival was hailed with joy we were pressed at once into the service and thus we had an opportunity of witnessing and taking part in a scene which was unusual even in a country so thoroughly pastoral as australia a muster by moonlight accustomed as we then were to life in the interior this sort of work differed as much from anything we had previously seen in the usual routine of cattle hunting as night from day and no less different was the plan of operations all noise was strictly prohibited the crack of the stock-whip which by day is indispensable would here have been treason and we hardly ever had the occasion to put our horses into a gallop but placed all our hopes on stratagem driving the decoy herd before us we skirted the edge of the plains and whenever we were led to suspect the vicinity of other cattle we halted and dismounting so as to be less liable to observation awaited their arrival in silence 
it was seldom long before the lowing of our decoy herd was answered from the distant forest and presently the wild cattle would come down from all quarters and mixing with the others were driven on with them quietly enough toward the enclosures which suffice it to say we reached at length with a large number of cattle which for once were outwitted and on the following morning we left their owner in a state of great satisfaction at having at length hit upon a plan for surmounting his difficulties though at the cost of turning night into day cattle hunting had long ceased to be a novelty for any of us but i well remember how highly interested we were with the whole scene the night as usual in australia was fine and clear and we proceeded gradually increasing the size of our drove we could plainly distinguish the evolutions of the wild cattle as they mingled with ours and mark their vast bodies darkling amidst the trees their innumerable horns glancing in the moonbeams and hear the quick tread of their hoofs upon the sward sometimes a few more wary than the rest would join us and then as if suspicious of foul play would single off again towards the forest for which we had no preventative as silence was our cue and the pursuit of them might have alarmed and occasioned the loss of the whole sometimes a bull roaming alone through the pastures would enter our ranks and long ere he came in sight his varied tones now sullen and deep then rising into a shrill scream clear as a bugle until they died away in wailing notes would announce his approach from a considerable distance this was one of the most melodious of australian pastoral sounds particularly on a calm night when it may be heard awakening the echoes for miles round through the deep glens and pathless solitudes i was sorry to hear afterwards that the scheme commenced so auspiciously proved eventually a failure the cattle with their usual sagacity penetrated it in short time and thenceforth it was all lost labor and their unfortunate proprietor found himself once more in status quo as an expiring effort he erected enclosures of extra strength and height and at no little cost in that very part of his station towards which the refractory animals had always been observed to shape their course but this plan fared no better than the rest and at the last muster there was a deficiency of about five hundred when cattle or horses are spoken of in new south wales as being quiet the word must always be understood with some latitude as no comparison can fairly be made with stock that is kept under confinement many herds that might well be considered dangerous in more civilized situations are looked upon in the colony as rather docile than otherwise and it is decidedly amusing to witness the cool way in which a newcomer is informed seemingly against the evidence of his calm senses that such and such cattle are not wild which indeed an animal is seldom allowed to be in the interior of the country except one that in colonial parlance would run at a mosquito the bulls are permitted to remain with the herds during the whole year but they voluntarily single off during the winter months and retire to some dry creek or gully in the forest where they remain in solitude and rejoin the herd at the beginning of spring their contests if they meet at this time are desperate bulls of the same herd seem to have forgotten each other during the interval of separation and severe and even mortal injuries are often the result of an encounter a bull is at all times a lordly animal but when roaming unconfined as in australia 
there is a dignity and freedom in all his movements which a state of domestication does not develop and it is remarkable that wild as is the nature of cattle in new south wales the bulls are seldom vicious or dangerous even in spring when in england they are not often to be trusted their senses of sight and hearing are very acute and it is interesting to watch the sudden change which comes over a bull when as he basks on some vast plain in the midst of his harem he hears in the distance the deep note which announces the vicinity of a rival at the first sound he springs up and looks eagerly round in quest of his foe while with his loud and angry roar he seems to caution him against a nearer approach at sight of each other their rage increases and like the bear sarks of gothic story they seem to be preparing for the combat by lashing themselves into a state of frenzy throwing up the dust into the air with their hoofs digging up the turf with their horns and even going down on their knees in their excitement as if in imagination they were already trampling each other underfoot at this time they are generally approaching to a distance of five or six yards apart when each draws himself up and stands for a minute or two collecting all his might there is something positively sublime in this pause which makes the ensuing rush still more terrific at length they close with an impetus which but at their foreheads are of the hardest would be sufficient to split them both each manoeuvring to get the advantage of the upper ground and bringing either horn to bear alternately upon his adversary while the noise of the contest may be heard at great distance for the rest of the cattle well knowing what is going on run bellowing from all directions toward the scene of action and surround the combatants who thus fight as it were in a ring when they are evenly matched the event is long dubious but if one of them gains the flank of his antagonist he is nearly sure to injure or upset him and a bull is naturally so spiteful that if he once gets his adversary down he frequently continues to gore and trample him for a long time after all resistance has ceased as if his rage were not to be satiated by submission or even by death it is very annoying to the settler in the course of a ride over his run to find his best bull perhaps recently purchased for a good round sum at his last gasp fortunately this does not happen very often the weaker or less skilful animal finding his efforts unavailing generally rushes away with a dismal roar multigemens ignominium and is pursued not only by the victor but by many of the other cattle who like true courtiers have been waiting for the issue of the contest before they declare for either party the conqueror then takes possession of the disputed herd while the beaten bull wanders off alone across the plain in search of other cattle being at such times most dangerous to meet with except in the vicinity of some rock or tree which may serve for a means of escape the most disagreeable as well as the most laborious work connected with cattle farming in australia is that of droughting or separating and classing a herd which is necessary at certain times of the year especially when any are to be sold or removed to fresh pastures it is properly speaking part of the stockkeeper's duty though many settlers go through it all in person being fond of the excitement of the business which indeed requires both nerve and activity a cattle enclosure is usually subdivided into five yards two of them facing the entrance are large 
the three others are smaller the former are known as receiving and the latter as droughting yards all of which communicate with one another the whole herd are first enclosed in one of the large yards and thence as many are forced into one of the smaller as will about half fill it the gateway is then closed behind them and those leading to the other divisions are thrown open at each of which a man is stationed armed with a waddy or green sapling about as thick and four times as long as an irish shillelagh and operations then commence it is no easy matter to part the cattle in the first instance as they instinctively keep close together and will not single out except on compulsion and when at length an animal is forced to do so he is usually well belaboured and makes for the nearest gateway literally like mad if this happens to be the right one he is suffered to pass unscathed but if otherwise he receives such a rap upon the head from the wadi of the man who is defending the gateway that he is fain to turn tail and try his luck elsewhere and he is thus bandied about amidst blows and shouts innumerable until he takes the right direction as the numbers in the droughting yard diminish the risk increases for the wildest of the cattle remain among the last and when compelled to leave the rest frequently charge through every obstacle into one of the wrong yards whence they are dislodged with still greater difficulty the chief share of danger falls upon the droughter who has to go amongst the cattle in the first instance and being sometimes threatened on all sides should be a very argus of watchfulness when pursued he makes for the nearest part of the fence but when there is not time to reach it he throws himself down upon the ground and lets the infuriated animal pass by over him the other men meanwhile who are stationed at the several gateways have no sinecure especially when three or four animals rush together pell-mell towards an opening through which only one perhaps is to be allowed to pass and the others are to be stopped almost at the same moment practice however does wonders and the stockkeepers whose chief recommendation for employment next to bold riding is that of being good men in a yard display wonderful agility and indifference to danger drawing aside to let an animal go by then springing back again almost simultaneously to stop the rest with a dexterity in the use of their waddies that would do credit to a spanish matador a stockyard or enclosure for cattle and horses which no station in the interior of australia is without is usually erected on a flat or gentle slope in the vicinity of good riding ground so that the animals when breaking off as they are particularly apt to do at the entrance may not have the advantage of broken country on their side the fence is five barred and of very strong construction for otherwise it would be unable to sustain the vast pressure to which it is subjected when filled with the half-wild cattle it is built entirely of wood strong rails of which are firmly driven into mortised posts sunk in the ground to a depth of three feet and upwards and rammed down hard at the butt end nails are not used in any part of it the timber generally preferred is the stringy bark blue gum or mountain ash the size of an enclosure varies with the quantity of stock it is intended to contain as being an expensive structure nobody builds a larger one than he actually requires a space of about fourteen rods in length by twelve in breadth will contain some eight hundred or thousand head of mixed cattle 
one of the smaller enclosures is used as a branding yard and here the young stock are branded with the initials or mark of their owner no two proprietors residing in one district are allowed to use the same brand and it is the business of the newcomer to make inquiries on this point so as to avoid all risk of confusion of property two side fences called wings are carried out in front of the enclosures extending to a distance of ten or twelve rods these are sufficiently wide at the outer extremities to admit at once the whole herd of cattle but they generally become narrower towards the gateway and are of great service to the horsemen when riding in the cattle by concentrating them and preventing them either from breaking away at the sides or running past the entrance calves are branded at any age under six months for when the herd is numerous or refractory they must be caught when they may the roughness of the stockman's proceedings can be equalled only by its rapidity hundreds of calves are roped mutilated and branded in a day the stock owners never seem to apprehend any ill effects from this hasty treatment or if they do they have obviously made up their minds in the colonial phrase to chance it the fence of the branding yard is more closely constructed than that of the other divisions and is provided with what is called branding panel which is in fact a sort of screen behind which the men take refuge if suddenly charged by an infuriated animal the markets in sydney are very fluctuating and much of the settler's success depends upon his bringing his stock to market at the proper moment the detention of a week or even a day on the road has been known to make an important diminution in his profits the wholesale butchers who are the principal purchasers combine to keep prices down and to oblige the seller to part with his stock on terms which they themselves have fixed the stock owner or his agent when within a day or two's journey from sydney and as yet ignorant of the current prices is met by a butcher who inspects his stock and concludes by making him an offer if he declines it he is accosted in due time by another confederate who offers him still less this of course he also refuses when shortly a third comes to him with no higher terms and so on by this time he is full of nervous perplexity and returns to the man who made him the first offer but then it's too late the first bidder will either make no offer at all or bid still lower than the rest and thus the settler is bandied about like a shuttlecock until he is reduced to such a state of anxiety and mortification that he is glad to take anything he can get sometimes however it happens that these plots are unsuccessful i remember a particular occasion on which some cattle were brought to sydney from the interior in excellent condition and as there were no others to be procured at the time they were very much sought after they were worth about ten pounds each a large price in australia where a fine ox is often sold for thirty shillings and a good beef may be bought for one pence per pound the butchers as usual combined together and agreed to offer not more than eight pounds with which intention three or four of them sought out the owner he on his part took some time to consider the proposal and while he was doing so the plot was discovered another of the purchasers in his eagerness made a higher offer for which breach of agreement he was summarily knocked down by the first spokesman to the astonishment of the unsuspecting settler who being thus put into possession of the real state of affairs was enabled to retaliate on the purchasers and obtain his own price in addition to the demand for colonial consumption and for salting 
a new market for the surplus stock has been found within the last few years by the discovery of the process of boiling down or converting the whole carcass into tallow he who first put this plan into operation deserved the thanks of all colonists for had not this method or some equivalent to it been invented cattle and sheep must soon have become almost unsaleable as the supply had so greatly exceeded demand whereas now though the colonial market should be overstocked the animal whether sheep or ox is at least worth its hide and tallow for exportation boiling down is a very simple and rapid process the whole carcass having been cut up into pieces and thrown into large cast-iron pans each capable of containing several bullocks is boiled to rags during which operation the fat is skimmed off until no more rises to the surface the boiled meat is then taken out of the pans and after having been squeezed in a wooden press which forces out the remaining particles of tallow it is either thrown away or used as food for pigs vast numbers of which are sometimes kept in this manner in the neighborhood of a boiling establishment the proprietors of these places will either boil down the settler's sheep and cattle at so much per head or purchase them wholly from him in the first instance and convert them into tallow at their own risk the value of an animal for this purpose depends of course entirely on his condition and usually varies from thirty shillings to three pounds ten shillings horned cattle will reach a high pitch of perfection under the climate of australia in the hands of an experienced breeder pure animals of several breeds have always been imported from england and on the whole no sort is so popular or found to combine more of the necessary qualifications than the improved shorthorn of which many colonial bred specimens are to be met with and might well compete for a prize at some of our most important shows though do capitalists now visiting the colony for the purpose of engaging in pastoral pursuits a speculation in cattle does not hold out such advantages as sheep farming yet there is less risk connected with it and it may be particularly recommended under certain circumstances the profits of a cattle station very far inland must always be much lessened by the expense and loss of condition of the stock attending long overland journeys to the capital but if on the other hand a good and tolerably quiet herd can be purchased together with a station which has been ascertained to be capable of fattening readily in the vicinity of the coast so as to command facilities for shipping livestock to the various colonial markets and also for salting beef most favorable results are attainable without calculating on any unreasonable share of good fortune End of chapter six